Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. All right, so welcome to the podcast. Today we have Megan Shea on. Um, She's actually on the West Coast, so yay, getting a West Coaster on. Um, And she's in real estate, and I'd love to talk to you more about real estate, what's going on on the West Coast. Um, You, like I have been... um, really interested in the building green sustainability, healthy homes movement. And so I'd love to get your take. So tell us who you are, Megan, and what you're up to. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. Uh, As mentioned, I am a real estate professional here in the Seattle area, actually just west of Seattle in Polvo, small town. Um, Been interested in, you know, the quote unquote green building kind of stuff since about, you know, 08, 09. And then recently have been also delving more into building science, construction, uh, modular construction, and super recently, aging. It's a very fun topic. It is a fun topic. That's actually something that's come up a lot recently for me. And so I don't know if that's a different perspective from, from an architect's, but it sounds like for you. So what are the questions that you get a lot for people who are talking about aging, aging in place? Like, what are they looking for? Well, it's, I think less about what people are looking for from a buying perspective and more of the, you know, what's next after selling or can they stay in the home? And it seems to me that most, most people, at least, you know, that I talk with actually are are the kids with the parents who are aging, who are dealing with what is next. And I am fully in that camp right now myself with my parents and my in-laws. And so um, I think, yeah, the, 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 most interesting part of that is what are you going to do? You know, what kind of stuff do you need to get rid of? How much of the stuff do you need to get rid of? Which is usually a lot. And how much space do you really need in the next place you're going? And also do you need assistance? Which is another like ball of wax together. But, um, you know, are we talking, do you need grab bars in the bathroom or do you need somebody to help with yeah. physical things on a daily basis? That's a great perspective because um, we're actually talking about that with one of our clients. And um, I think they're being very proactive. They're they're building a smaller house and they're downsizing and they're trying to get rid of a lot of the stuff that they have because when their parents passed away, they just inherited all of the stuff. And they're like, our kids don't want any of those antiques that their grandparents left for them. And then we have all of our stuff. And they're like, we're just trying to be really proactive about going through the stuff so that our kids don't have to deal with it kind of after the fact. But I'm mm-hmm. in, you know, a, a similar position where um, actually my parents are dealing with their parents who all still want to live at home, which um, has been really interesting during this pandemic because um, it's been good for them to be at home because the spread has been, you know, a little bit crazy in in care facilities. But at the same time, they're getting to the point where being at home isn't sustainable and is requiring their kids then to come in there and check on them. And, you know, in a different world where we all live together multi-generationally, you know, that was different. But now where everybody lives in their own house, there are a lot of people who want to stay home and live at home and stay in that place. But 
their kids aren't really set up to be that care provider, right? And it's so expensive, you know, in some cases to pay for care providers, or I belong to a networking group. And one of the women in the networking group is a care provider. And she said, we just constantly need to hire staff because we don't have enough people. And so they're struggling to find people who are willing to be care providers and not even necessarily medically, you know, they're, they're not always, you know, trained nurses that need to be giving medication, but just to, to go in, maybe do groceries, help them out, you know, help them take a bath, like things like that. And so it's really interesting perspective, um, you know, from the real estate end of like, where do they go? And one of the things that I've talked about is single family homes aren't the solution to the housing problem in all cases. So, you know, in your perspective, what's available other than the single family home and staying at home? Oh man, it's tough. And so in the Seattle area, you know, we don't have a whole lot of land to sprawl out on. Uh, We are limited by the mountains and the sea. And, you know, the price of real estate hasn't exactly gone down around here either. Um, What we see and also desire more of is the solution of having a a place where you could have uh, an apartment and, you know, and be independent and also close by having assisted living and memory care facilities. Because also you run into situations like my parents who one of them needs more assistance than the other one. So do you go with, you know, the independent for now and then what's next? And it's just all these, you know, things that sort of hit at the same time. Um, I don't really have any, you know, myself or my clients that are maybe thinking of building something new. yeah, it's, it's pretty much you move out of your house and, and find something that fits. Do you think like we'll that. see a transition to people living together mm-hmm. again? Um, I know here in Maine, we have mm-hmm. some like bigger houses that were then turned into apartments or, or whatever. Um, I don't really see this as a trend, but I don't, I don't know that it would be, but you know, yeah. com- coming back together. I mean, it's an interesting thought. I think that that you were right on though previously, which is that we're not equipped to handle those needs. I mean, I, if if my parents were like, "Oh, we're gonna come in and live with you," okay. Um, so I'm working. I have kids. There's a pandemic, but you know, even if it wasn't, I'm not a nurse. I'm not like I don't know how I would take care of my parents. I don't know how. I guess you know, generations ago, you pretty much would go live with your kids until you died. But that was maybe when you were 70 and not when you're 102. Right. I think that's part of it is too, is that people are living a lot longer than they were before. Right. So they weren't having this discussion and they were retiring early, you know? So like my parents are in their early sixties and they're, you know, they're starting to think about retirement, which means that I have grandparents who are in their nineties. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. like, Whoa. Okay. Um, you know, and, and my grandmother actually turned 92 two days ago. Um, fantastic. Still lives on her own and still drives very short distances, but <laughs> drives to the grocery. She can get herself to the grocery store and the hairdresser. You know, she lives in town, so she doesn't have to go too far. And her house is actually ideally suited for her needs. It's a one story and it's very small. It's not a big house. So it's, you know, fairly easy for her to, to keep and to, you know, do all of that stuff. But 
you know, my mom said to my dad, like our house isn't equipped. Like we have one first floor bedroom. Like we, we're not in a position that she could even move in with us if that, you know, needed to happen. And so, um, and unfortunately they live in one of the places that's like, um, Lancaster County seems to be a really high uh, percentage of retirees. They have a lot of great facilities there, but they're really expensive. They won't even talk yeah. to you if you don't have a half a million dollars in the bank. And, you know, when you're like the buy-in kind of thing, yeah. like they all operate. It's interesting too, that um, in different areas of the country, what there is and isn't, because when we started going down this road, my brother was saying, oh, well, you know, we should do a place like my, you know, mother-in-law's parents are in and I'm like cool um but I I want something that's reasonably close to me and we don't have those yeah there's not that many options right right so it's really interesting to see like what what's going on in in different parts of the country and how it's addressed and you know what you might do um and on that on a slightly different note, like we also talked a little bit about modular and prefab. Um, are you finding more people who are interested in that? Or like you said, in Seattle, you don't have a lot of room for sprawl. So are you not seeing people building um, single family homes? It's mostly um, a lot of either remodel or scrape and, and rebuild. Um, and then as far as, you know, modular slash ADU, in the city of Seattle, it's kind of become more of a thing in the last few years, and they've you know done some policy and you know changes to kind of encourage that. But it's still pretty new, and it hasn't quite gone out of the city so much yet. So, like I said, we're west of Seattle in Polsbo, and uh, I'm not seeing any clamoring for backyard ADUs at this point because we there is more space over here. But if you live in Ballard in the city of Seattle, where your backyard is like a postage stamp that's when it becomes more appealing to and more people are into the idea of having something rentable or something, you know, for the in-laws as they age. But I still wouldn't say it's like a a massive, you know, movement. I know, but now, now with COVID, everyone's like getting out of Dodge anyway. And apparently everyone's moving from Seattle to LA, which I guess for the sun. Yeah. It seems like a weird transition. Uh, I've had <laughs> I've had a couple of California clients who are all trying to get out of California and come back to Maine. Uh, so, you know, but, but we're seeing the similar thing here, which is people are leaving Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh, and moving, you know, more towards the Maine and and Vermont areas. You know, just getting out of the city. Yeah. A lot more people doing that. So, so it'd be interesting to see how the real estate market changes for you then moving yeah. forward with, you know, with Seattle. So in your building types, do you have a lot more mm-hmm. apartments then? Do you have people who live in apartments or? In the city? Yeah. But, and, um, and just this year too, condos, not surprisingly, haven't been real popular. Um, but we have seen people moving out of the city and getting, you know, coming west or coming north or south to, you know, for two reasons, the affordability and then also just being in the city is not as appealing when there is nothing to go do. And, you know, you can't go to the restaurants, you can't go to the bars, you can't go to the gym. So what are you going to do? We do still have, you know, mountains and woods and trails. Yeah. And, uh, you know, space to go outside. So, yeah, that's what people do that. 
what are the general questions that you ask people? So we talked a little bit about this before we mm-hmm. hopped on the podcast, which is like, what are questions that I ask my clients, you know, in square footage? So, so in general, when you're trying to help someone find a space, like what are some mm-hmm. standard questions that, that you're asking that you know, maybe take into account instead of just being like, oh, you need a place to land? Because occasionally you're going to have that client, right? They just need a place to land, like as soon as you can find one. Um, but when we're talking, you know, green and sustainable and the built environment and that I talk to my clients about a lot more tangible things than how many Mm -hmm. bedrooms they need and how much square footage they want. So what are things that you're asking or seeing people ask for? One of the things that, you know, that we chatted about a little while ago is I think that sort of overlaps is what are you going to do in this space? And like, how do you live? Um, Because, you know, people will think, oh, well, I, I want, you know, this number of bedrooms, or I want a big backyard, or I want this. And, you know, I'm like, well, okay, so are you going to entertain? Do you like to have dinner parties? Do you have visitors? Do you have pets? Do you want, you know, a fence or not? So I guess those are kind of the the first things that I tend to ask. And I like to take people to different things that maybe they wouldn't have thought to see in the first place. So they say, you know, everyone looks online, right? And you look at the pictures, and it looks really pretty. Um, but I like to kind of throw things into, so if we're doing a tour, you know, we're going to go like a, you know, Emily's top three houses. I might toss in a couple that are like similar, but a little different or in a different neighborhood that maybe you didn't think to look in just because, you know, more often than not, people don't necessarily know what it is that they really want when they start looking. And for instance, when we moved here to Polso, I had to put myself in the, you know, what would I do if I were, if I were advising me as my client, because the house that we ended up buying was the one that I did not want to see. It's like, ah, oh, so boring. It's just a you know, split level and uh, it's not very attractive. It's not cute at all. But then we got here and there's a big backyard and there's two apple trees and the kids can play and it's a cul-de-sac and it's near the school. And the, the kicker here was that there have, we have five bedrooms. So my husband and I each have our own office with a door that can shut and lock. Which is probably pretty nice right now while you're uh, Zoom schooling and <laughs> have two rambunctious children who are, are home with you uh, at all times. To me first. I don't even, no matter how many times I lock the door and tell them I'm not available. But yeah. uh, I guess the moral story is like you just, you know, you get a feeling, right? And sometimes you've, you've moved several times, right? So you see things online and you get all excited about it and then you see it in person and it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. There are so many things too. And like, we, we've talked about this and the integrated design and the landscape and the approach to the house and all these things that are factors in how much you love your house and natural light and where the spaces mm-hmm. end up being. Um, but there's so much to that in real estate too, is like, I can go and I can look on online, but I don't know that neighborhood. Like, I don't know. Uh, we went to see a house and we had to drive past the prison. And I was like, do I want to live <laughs> next to the prison? Like, I don't think I want to live next to the prison. And like, you don't know that until you go through or like you drive up and you're like oh this is actually a really great neighborhood and there are sidewalks and big trees and like I didn't know I wanted to sidewalks and big trees but I've got a dog and I want to walk it and those are things that you don't get as much from the listing I don't think it scares me too about when people talk about you know buying home sight unseen and like oh the whole iBuyer thing or you know oh you now it's just magical you just go online and just buy a house but the thing is, and like, I, I just put this on t-shirts, Zillow can't smell cat pee, right? Like it doesn't know, or the view, like the good and the bad, right? The algorithm doesn't know. The algorithm is 
an algorithm. It's math, which I don't understand, but I know that it's not perfect. And it also doesn't know how much your house is worth really. So don't even go there. Yeah. I don't know how anybody buys anything sight unseen. And so I had told you earlier that when we moved to New York, I had looked at a couple of listings. I knew what I wanted to see. The real estate agent took us to all the rest of them. I'm like, I don't want to see any of these things, which is kind of interesting perspective that you had. But when we moved back to Maine, our real estate agent happily is a family friend. So she, she fed my yes, whims, sir. but I, I made my <laughs> husband look at 52 houses before I picked one. Because what you can't tell in the pictures is like, oh, this house looks beautiful or whatever. And you get there and it hasn't been maintained, right? Right. And so you go and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a, because where we did move was up onto the coast, right? And once you start getting onto the coast, maintenance becomes a bigger issue, right? You got all this salt water and everything else. And it's like, you show up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this place is like rotten. It's like falling into the floor. And um, it was actually kind of a funny experience. We looked at the house across the street and I was standing there in that in that driveway and I'm like why isn't that house for sale (laughs) and it's the house that I now own and it was because they had taken it off the market and then they put it back on the market um Um, right after I had said that and I was just like oh I I like willed it into happening but I walked in the door and I walked around and I was like this is it and my real estate agent was like don't see that inside you know because the other real estate (laughs) agent is is there with us and I was like I don't even care if she knows I'm not looking at another house like this one's it make it happen (laughs) like go to battle for it I mean is, is multiple offers a thing uh, it is a thing. We bought this house two years ago, so it wasn't quite as bad then um, as it is now. I mean, now it's just like, you can't sell anything that doesn't have multiple offers. There's no way I would have gotten this house if this house was for sale now um, with, with everything else that was there. We locked out because they wanted to unload it and it was for mm-hmm. sale in December. And so okay. for us in December, when it's snowing, you have less houses on the market, but you yeah. usually have less buyers as well. But um, so it was kind of an ideal time for us because there mm-hmm. weren't a ton of other buyers. And, um, we happened to find out about it. I think shortly after they put it on the market, they're having an open house and we just came and we looked at it and I was like, that's it. And so we put in an offer like immediately afterwards mm-hmm. because we were in a position to buy a house because we had sold our other house and my husband right. was living in an apartment. Um, and so, we, we were like, okay, the, like this has to happen. And so we actually negotiated with the sellers to sell the house sooner so that we could move okay. in. So, nice. um, but I don't think that that that's just definitely not the case here. I mean, there's yeah. multiple offers on everything. Now there are people buying things sight unseen because they're just afraid to lose it. Yeah. And unfortunately there's not a lot of understanding of the market and like Maine has some of the oldest mm-hmm. housing stock in the country. So like some people are buying these things sight unseen because you didn't take a picture of the basement because who wants to see the basement, right? right? But that thing's wet and it's dirt and it's grody and like the heating system is rusty because, well, hey, it's in the wet basement. Like you don't know those things. Or you, like you said, cat pee, I've been in some where it's like clearly a smoker lived here. If you're a non-smoker, that's a big deal. Or it's like moldy. You walk in the house and you're like, okay, something's wet in here. I don't know where, if it's the basement, if it's what, something's (laughs) leaking. I don't know, but it's like the whole house smells like mold. Um, And so it's, it's, fascinating. I can't believe people buy anything. It's not an episode of HGTV. Like, 
Oh, don't even get me started on HGTV, right? Do you watch that show? Like they, sometimes they're showing beautiful things and I, I love the representation of architecture and people being really excited about it. But I'm like, there's no way you got that for whatever you paid for it or that you did this renovation for right. that amount that of money. Matter. Right, and so it's given everybody this this idea that things aren't as expensive as they are, yeah. which makes it really difficult for the people in the field. Um, you know, the architects, the builders, the mechanical engineers, like you got to do something and it costs money. And people right. are like, well, you know, I got like $2,000 to spend on that. I'm like, it's going to cost you 15. <laughs> like, I can't help you. I don't like, right. you know, well, I, don't, I don't think they even get into, you know, the cost of labor at all. I'm trying to think of like all the, you know, HGTV shows that I've watched and it's like, yeah, sure. Um, the water heaters, you know, $300, but then it's going to be $3,000 to install it or. Yeah. Right. Like it's just yeah, like, Oh, we bought this for, you know, went out and bought this vintage thing. It's going to be so cool. I'm like, do you know how many hours it takes for somebody to strip that repaint it, you know, put it up, hang it. Didn't come with hanger. Like there's just, there's, it, um, uh, my favorite, and I think Travis talked about this on the podcast, uh, uh, is um, the people who are like, well, we don't really want anything fancy. We want simple. Right. But oh, the yeah. problem <laughs> is simple is more like you want zero tolerance. Like some of the things that seem fancy or fussy cover things that are hard to do really well with zero tolerance, right? Like I want this to slide into this to be in there, you know, like I love those beautiful pictures that they put up, you know, online where the countertop rolls right into the windowsill of mm. the thing behind it. Do you know how hard it is to get that exactly level and flush to make sure that that windowsill that you built during rough framing is at the exact same height as like, I mean, it is very detailed so that the countertop is flat and flush it, you know, I'm not saying it's not possible. And I'm not saying that there aren't contractors out there who can do that all day long, but they cost more money because it takes more time. Anything can be done with enough money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and I say that a lot to clients. I was like, we can do whatever you want. How much money you have to spend? (laughs) Oh man, I've I've done, um, we've dabbled in, in building furniture. I mean, like rustic, if you will, in other words, not very good. Um, and that has really given me a very, very fine appreciation for how hard it is to get things right when it's not perfect to begin with. Like, like, how is this so far off? It's like, oh, well, the, the wood is like totally bowed. <laughs> well, and you said <laughs> Seattle has a ton of renovation work, right? That is definitely yeah. a thing in renovation work. Like oh, not a single cool. wall in here is square and like nothing is level. And, you know, it's like, oh, I want this to be totally flush and completely square. And you're like, do the best you okay. can. <laughs> I mean, you know, like our house is is old, but it's not, I don't know, it was built in 78, the house that we're in now. And there's like a total hump from some, you know, it's settled at some point and just like, you can see it. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully we need to remodel it. So do you bring your experience of living on a boat in a basically 120 square feet with your husband and your two kids um, into your conversations with your clients, right? So so we had this whole conversation about aging and getting rid of stuff, but there's this whole stuff culture too, right? Like we buy more stuff to make us happier, but then we have to deal with our stuff and then dealing with your stuff makes you unhappy or whatever. So like, do you discuss that with your clients about how much storage they need, the stuff they have, the things they're bringing and getting rid of stuff? Yes. I mean, I try and 
do it without bringing judgment to it. It's mostly sure. like, here's my personal experience. And I, I hope that that is helpful. But, you know, between my experience with when we literally got rid of everything to move on the boat, when we moved into the house, it was so much easier because we only had like everything we owned in two cars. Um, but just, you know, how much of this stuff do you need? Does it actually make you happy? And again, you know, with if people are older, like we, who's going to deal with this when you have to move or when you have to move again? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be your kids? And then sometimes, I guess pretty often really the light kind of goes on where they're like, Oh yeah, I guess I really do have to deal with this or, you know, cost of moving. How much is it going to cost you to move all that stuff and, you know, pack it and put it in boxes. Like, are you going to spend thousands of dollars more to move stuff that you don't ever look at anyway? Yeah. And then I know, I know all the good ways to get rid of stuff. So, you know, multiple approaches there we've got, you know, various methods of giving away slash selling slash finding homes for things when it is time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> good at it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the problem every time it's like, you don't know the stuff. I think um, for anybody who's trying to, and, and I try to do the same thing too. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to be a minimalist. If you're coming with all your stuff, we'll plan for all of your stuff, right? Square footage is just a, you know, X plus Y equals, you know, Z to get you into the space for the stuff that you need. But like, let's plan for, the stuff you use every day, the stuff you're, you know, and here in Maine, it's like yeah. basements. Everybody's got to have a basement. I'm like, what are you going to put in your basement? Like what so needs to go really. in the basement? Like the basement is just, I say this all the time. Like the more countertop space you have, the more stuff you find to pile really? on the countertop is like, if you have a basement, I feel like you just acquire things to put in your basement. And like, I'm the same way. I still need to go through. I mean, like I told you, we moved three times. Yeah. The joke when we moved this last time, I said to the guy, I was like, I don't care if you lose like half the truck full of stuff. And he's like, he's like, which stuff? And I was like, all of it. I'm like, I don't really care. I'm like, I don't even know, you know? And so I don't ask my clients to be minimalist, but you know, like, I don't care how they live their lives, but if they want to talk about some of that stuff, it's like, oh, you know, there's these, some, some great ways, like the whole Marie Kondo thing is kind of fun. Like go through, like, does you know, and, and organize it right too. Cause half of it is just like organization, like it's, yeah. it just lives in this one thing and put it in a drawer so that you don't open the junk drawer and there's just pens everywhere, you know? And it's like, you realize, God, I haven't used this in a year and you, know, you hang yeah. on to it for sentimental value, but you don't lose the memories cause you got rid of a thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. no, totally. And I, I think that too, with the, um, another thing that the boat taught us was the having a place for everything. And like, if, if we don't have a place to put whatever it is, then most likely we don't really need it anyway. And this is a daily struggle with two boys also with socks <laughs> all over the place. But I don't know, we're really trying to continue embracing that, you know, lesson that we learned in our, our very brief time living on a boat. Yeah. And now we know that we want to get another boat and also live in the house. There you go. A smaller boat, uh, you can go out for a weekend and you know do whatever, but come home to the house. I mean, I will say though, you know, another thing that we learned from this adventure was that I learned how to dock a forty-five foot boat with no prior experience, and my husband learned how to keep his mouth shut, and we're still married. So <laughs> I feel like you know it was a, a good life lesson. It was a win. It was a win for sure. So um, like, when are you going to live on the boat again? We're like. Mm. 
we'll, t we'll take some adventures, but um, I don't know. It's going to be a while before we try like full on living aboard again. Yeah. We, um, we had talked about going and learning to sail a catamaran and seeing if we yeah. could spend like a week on the boat together. Right. So, um, have you done it? We haven't done well. Then the pandemic hit, and of yeah. course, you know, we couldn't. And so um, we haven't done that yet because I'm like, I want to. The environmentalist in me wants to sail. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to have a big motor yeah. that's just like chugging, you know, chugging out all this stuff. Like, yeah, occasionally you need a motor, totally fine. But like, I want to, I want to not motor as much yeah. as possible, you know. And um, but at the same time, like, I think I'm always going to need a house. I don't think I could just like live on a boat. I, yeah. I commend you for having done that. I get <laughs> motion sickness. So I'm thinking living on a boat's probably not going to be like full-time my shtick, uh, but we love to dive. So um, we've been doing that for, for a number of years, but I would love to, it's, it's kind of a joke in our family because my husband would never move to a tiny house. Cause he's like, no, that I had to get rid of too much stuff, but he would sell everything and live on a sailboat. I'm like, what's the difference? I'm like, I'm pretty sure a sailboat is even less square footage, like even less stuff. It's very equivalent because um, when we were on the boat, I, I, we were kind of, yeah, as we were delving more into modular and stuff too, it kind of dovetails with tiny homes. It's exactly the same thing. You just have, you know, moisture issues to contend with, but like you got, you know, teeny tiny bathrooms and no closet space. And it was just so funny um, to read or like watch some of these, you know, HGTV shows where people are like, living in their tiny homes and then you know maybe they re revisit them like a year later and then they're like yeah it really wasn't that awesome after all yeah like it, I think it's it's cool for some people it's just not a very big number of people and it's a good temporary space but unless you have a first floor bedroom it's not a long-term space I mean having to climb up a ladder to get into a space is just it's it's too hard you know and you know, honestly, they make really small mobile homes. So <laughs> there's yeah, a similar thing with the boat, you know, the liveaboard thing too. I mean, we got into it because we were watching too much YouTube. Um, and there are tons of people who do it and tons of families who do it. I think most of them probably had more background either with boating or homeschooling than we did, because that was the kicker for us is living aboard while working and trying to educate the kids who were young and uh, you know, I totally commend all the people that are pulling it off, but it's not easy. And we didn't even get that far into it to realize that like we need to have a home base. And my husband, this is, you know, the things that you learn um, by doing something that you wouldn't previously have figured out, but it was a big deal to him that everything we owned was on that boat. Hmm. So if anything happened, everything we owned is on that boat and we would have nothing. And so, you know, like, that is a very good point, a very valid point and something that neither of us, you know, going into that had any idea, like, how would we feel about that? It turns out not so great. So, you know, next time we have a boat or if we are, you know, if we end up achieving what we want to and going off for a couple of years on said boat, at least we'll still have something to come back to. If the boat yeah. Sinks. <laughs> yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. So, 
Um, well, I have to run, but it has been a pleasure talking to you. I, I enjoyed getting to hear your perspective, real estate, Seattle, all of that. Um, I wish you the best of luck in everything that you guys are up to and doing um, out in your neck of the woods. And I will put uh, your contact information up in the podcast when it goes up. So if there are people out in the Seattle area that are interested in real estate and doing more with green building to get in touch with you. Um, and so thank you again for uh for spending some time chatting with me today yeah thanks Emily thanks for chatting and I really did learn a lot from you know your perspective as well and stay uh stay safe out there in Maine stay warm yeah it's not too cold today it's actually beautiful and and gorgeous and it makes you sure to want to go outside and you're like oh well, I'm stuck here in the office Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guest, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at matramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, matramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy. Bye.